You are listening to Geek Fest Rants on the IC Robots Radio Network. You have located Geek Fest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver, and I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. L3! Let's go with a mean man's face. If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might wanna buckle up, baby. Let me give you some advice. We assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. When do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it. Hi everybody and welcome to GeekFest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we are going to hit Solo, trailer number two. We have a brand new trailer for the Han Solo film that's coming out next month and we're going to go shot by shot as we usually do to uncover all the little mysteries and uh, hints and easter eggs and you know tidbits that we can get out of this cool new trailer. Then we're going to explore Netflix suggested films. Uh, how many times do we watch a movie and then it suggests other movies uh, in Netflix? Well, there's a ton of those type of movies uh, that recently I've been able to watch. And some of them have been getting uh, pretty good reviews and pretty horrible reviews. So we're going to go see uh, which are the hits and which are the misses. And for those are going to be very, very spoiler heavy when we hit the Netflix films. So let's begin with Solo. A Star Wars Story.
What did I teach you? You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. You will not laugh. You will not cry. You will learn by the numbers. I will teach you. Can you dig it? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan. <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. All right, another day, another Star Wars trailer. We have the second solo trailer that was just premiered the other night. And we're going to take it apart shot by shot like we've done some previous ones to see what little hidden things we could see here or there or what it tells us about the story. Unbelievable, the movie's only a month away, and it is just outrageous <laughs> how fast these things are coming. Overall, this trailer gives us a little bit more, not much, just a little bit more of the flavor. You know, we kind of get the feeling that I don't want to kind of say this is another heist kind of movie, because the last, you know, standalone film, Rogue One, was kind of a heist kind of movie, but it was more like a war heist. This seems to be more like a uh, uh, like a criminal, you know, Ocean's Eleven kind of uh, mission. This isn't for, you know, honor and glory. This is more for profit. And again, you know, we're getting to know these underworld characters, you know, the criminal element and the fact that this is where Solo comes from. But, you know, let's get started in the beginning of the trailer. We get a, a very wide night shot of some industrial city-looking area. Uh, a lot of factories and smoke and people seem to be working on something. Then we get a shot of what looks like to be a Star Destroyer being put together. It is kind of floating up in the air, and you also see the tower of what looks like to be another Star Destroyer nearby. So, at first I thought these things were being assembled on the ground, but no, it's an upward shot. The angle of the camera is pointing up into the night sky, and you see, you know, like welding taking place and sparks everywhere. Really cool looking construction kind of shot. You see a, like a little rat <laughs> crossing some uh, cables from side to side. You're definitely in a seedy kind of area. You see some guys uh, kind of warming their hands on a fire. And you see the silhouette of Solo walking towards some uh, indoor area. Then we get the beginning of the narrative of a female voice, which is probably Cora, from the previous trailer that we've seen, saying, you're after something. And we do get a couple of repetitive shots from before of him in the dark, kind of silhouetted, as if somebody opened the door to see his face. Then we again get a shot of that beachfront standoff uh, with a whole bunch of bad guys probably and he's getting ready to draw on them and you get the angle of the blaster as he's carefully unfastening it it's a typical typical western motif here even the music the beats of the music are very uh, westerny and she asks you know is it revenge or is it money and you get a couple of more shots of him entering into what appears to be a gambling area again very seedy looking and it's as if he wants in on a game and at the long end of a table, there's Lando in the middle of playing a game. And it's as if, you know, it's like, okay, does this guy want in? And the last question she asks is, or is it something else? And at that point, you see Han walking around a very kind of dark, dusty 
a shot of the Millennium Falcon and he's looking at the Falcon and Chewbacca's with him already. And he's also wearing a very heavy, uh, like a furry kind of jacket, which it kind of reminds me a little bit of the original deleted Jabba scene from Star Wars. I think Jabba, the, the actor, was wearing a similar jacket like that. So I guess what they're implying here is that, you know, what is he after? What is his motivation here? And his motivation appears to be the Falcon. He wants a ship. Then we get the Lucasfilm logo, and then we continue with the trailer. Once again, we get Quora. These are new shots now of her, all dressed up very fancy-like. And she's saying, uh, you know, you're you're good, and you know, but a little rough around the edges. And they start to kind of walk around. And it seems as if that cuts to a shot of them with Chewbacca behind them, Walking down a, um, like a cliffside, eh, I don't want to say deserty, but kind of rocky, beachy kind of area that brings them to the Woody Harrelson character. Again, this is a kind of a repetitive shot and letting him know about a, a job that there, that another gangster, you know, a, he calls him a big shot gangster is putting together a crew for a job. And they give you a shot of the other gangster, which is played by Paul Bettany. And you kind of see a kind of profile of his face. And his face looks like it's been scarred or burned or something like that. So he does have somewhat of a menacing looking persona. And then we get a couple of, again, repetitive shots, but different angles, different takes maybe of Han riding a speeder and kind of getting away from someone else. Uh, and he's talking to somebody, letting him know that he's a driver and he's a flyer. And again, you get different shots from the previous trailer of some of these flying vehicles that I guess at some point he has to, you know, get on uh, around a mountain. And it's kind of dark. It's, 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 the, the, the lighting is really interesting how they're, they're seem to be hitting all different types of lighting conditions. And then we get a shot of Solo saying that I've been waiting for a long time for a shot like this, meaning to be able to be part of a crew, to be able to do this kind of a job, you know, for a long time. And it seems to be taking place at night around a, around a fire and it's a couple of other uh, there's the there's another girl that's part of this crew, and once again we get Woody Harrelson's character. He kind of takes a blaster, which looks like to be the traditional solo blaster, and he kisses it and he throws it at Solo, which I guess he's giving him, you know, his first official blaster, maybe his first one ever. I don't know, I doubt it. Then we get uh, this little funny shot of that we're indoors again, and Solo turns to Chewbacca and he says, "What do you think?" And Chewbacca makes this howling, like, no kind of uh, gesture and growl. And uh, he kind of turns and goes, well, what do you know? <laughs> Which is kind of funny. Then we see them walking uh, in what could be like a mountainous, snowy, possible area to this decrepit old building with these weird, kind of like a, a mammoth tusks uh, as an entry uh, area. And uh, he's talking to Quora about, you know, we're looking for a ship. You know, you, you have a line on a guy who might be able to get us a ship. And she mentions that, you know, she, she knows, uh, you know, a guy and he's the best uh, smuggler in the area. And you get a shot of Lando, played by Donald Glover. And again, you get a shot of him and uh, he's wearing this furry kind of jacket, which leads me to believe that... Maybe at some point he also wins his jacket or something. I don't know. 
And they have an exchange, you know, sitting on a table, which is, I guess, after they gambled or something like that. He says something like, I heard a story about you that I'm not sure it's true. And then Lando replies, everything you heard about him is true. You know, he's putting on the Lando persona here. He is, he's putting it on thick. You know, he's super, super confident. And that's followed by Chewie doing the, the Chewie laugh, I believe, that last time I think we saw it uh, on Empire after, uh, Leia kisses Luke to piss off Han. And so it's uh, it's interesting to see that come back. Then we get some quick kind of action shots of like almost like a fight might be breaking out inside. And there's a robot that is holding a, a, a guy against the wall. And Landa goes, L3, let go of the mean man's face. And the robot turns around and lets him go and looks at them and goes, who are these guys? I get the feeling this is Lando's early version of Lobot, his his assistant, if you will. Uh, this must be a pre-Lobot stage. I wonder if maybe in this film we do get a hint of a Lobot later on. And then we get a couple of shots of Solo once again. Again, you know, some of these things are probably most likely being shown in a different order. But we get a shot of him touring the Falcon and we see some shots and he's kind of touching certain things. So we understand that, you know, this is where we're heading. It's his introduction to the Falcon. Then we get a shot of Woody Harrelson's character again, saying to him, again, from that cliff shot, you know, if you're in, uh, you're in this life for good, meaning, you know, there's no way out of this. And then we get Lando prepping to take off on the Falcon with his co-pilot, that robot, whose name is L337. And he goes to Solo, you might want to buckle in, baby. And that little extra baby is what, there's your Lando right there, that little extra swagger that has to be sprinkled on with this character if you want to make it work. Okay, then we get a shot that we've seen kind of before of this kind of weird train that seems to kind of elevate and lower itself on the tracks. It's like a crazy roller coastery type of thing. And a shootout taking place on top of these cards between, I imagine it would be uh, Han and, and his team against what looks like to be like a heavy, like uh, cold weather troopers. I forget what the technical name of the uh, designation of those troopers are right now. Then you get Woody Harrelson's character again, his voice saying, let me give you some advice. Assume everyone is going to betray you. So you're getting that, you know, that kind of pirate mentality, you know, given to him here. And during that, you get a couple of quick, quick edited shots of the Falcon flying uh, through the atmosphere of a planet. You see Lando at a shot. And it's, it, again, it's uh, uh, reminiscent of uh, Empire Strikes Back. Assume everyone's going to betray you and you see a shot of Lando. And then you see Kira, I believe. I think that's Kira. She's dressed up. She looks very different, but I'm pretty sure it's her. And you get shots of some of his other crew members. And again, Murray Harrison's uh, character says, uh, everyone will betray you and you'll never be disappointed. So it's a, it's a nice little tag there. We do get some... Potential, I don't know if you want to call it an Easter egg or a unusual shot here of Chewbacca hugging, and you don't see the front, another Wookiee. Could this be his mom? Could this be his wife? Could this be, I don't know, his son? <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of buzz on the internet that <laughs> this is kind of like from the holiday special, his wife. <laughs> so it would be interesting if they make that canon. Then you get some more shots of the Falcon, you know, flying through what appears to be space. And again, that weird tentacle creature that we saw on the first trailer. 
And you also get, uh, again, a, a very ironic quote from Han saying, I have a very good feeling about this, which is the opposite of what we're used to once again of the, I have a very bad feeling about this. And then, you know, flying through this spacey, uh, smoky kind of environment. Again, this was more featured in the first trailer. And uh, Han turns to Chewbacca and Chewbacca's trying, you know, he's pulling some levers on the cockpit. And Han turns and goes, since when do you know how to fly? So I guess there, this might be where the pilot-co-pilot relationship starts. And then you also, you know, you get Chewbacca grumbling something and, he, and Han goes, 190 years old? You look great. Again, little funny things here, which is, it's weird because if you think about it, you know, all this funny stuff, is this the kind of stuff that the uh, uh, Lord and Miller, they went a little overboard on? Uh, you know, how much of it did they keep? How much of it did they reshoot? Who knows? Again, a whole bunch of uh, more quick fast shots as the trailer is about to end. You see somebody igniting what appears to be a laser two-sided blade, like a knife, let's say, like a lightsaber knife. <laughs> not, I'm sure it's not a lightsaber knife, but that's what it, the effect looks like. And um, Paul Bentley's character, once again, he's the one apparently holding the knife. He's striking against something. Quick shots of some kind of battle happening at night, close-range combat. Blasters going off everywhere. Chewbacca throwing people around, grabbing a guy and basically turning him upside down and bouncing him on his head another shot of kira another shot of l337 saying so glad we took this job and it's interesting because it's a female voice that robot has which is something we aren't used to seeing too much of a female voice on a robot and what's also interesting about that robot if you think about it really is this robot would most likely like i said earlier be the proto robot if you will you know lando has a uh, an assistant that is very in tune to his needs and uh, the the funny thing about it that i started noticing way later is that if you guys remember lobot you know he's got that wrap around mechanical cybernetic thing around his head now, granted, through canon, I'm sure there's a legitimate reason for the way it looks and the way it is. Even in Clone Wars, I think, uh, or Rebels, I forget which one, they 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 went into um, that technology, what it's all about. And I think they had a Rodian wearing one of those things. But anyway, it would be interesting here if at a certain point this robot uh, gets destroyed. Because obviously anything you don't see here could potentially die or get destroyed, you know, when you move forward. And I wonder if at some point uh, Lando is able to recover or preserve a piece of this robot's mind, let's say, and save it and be used as part of Lobot's cybernetic, you know, enhancement. It would be part of the personality in, a, in some shape or form, or at least the memories or the knowledge of this robot. So that's something that I'm, I'm just kind of going to keep in the back of my mind there to see if, uh, if they do play with that. Because something tells me that this would be a great opportunity to tie things in a little bit, uh, to connect them. I mean, I'm not talking about the kind of connection we saw with Rogue One, because Rogue One had the best connection ever for a film. You know, that entire final sequence with Vader trying to get to the uh, the princess. But little tiny bits of stuff like that, where you do have... Uh, I guess, you know, Jabba's going to probably make an appearance somewhere in the background there, you know. Boba Fett is probably going to be in there somewhere in the background, I imagine. And it would be interesting, again, if Lando's uh, Lobot <laughs> gets a little, you know, secret cameo in this manner. The next shot, you see 
Han and Chewie, uh, I guess at the in the back or, or in between carts of that that train that's you know going through these mountains, and Chewie's about to fall out because these train cars make these weird angular uh, movements. Now, all of a sudden, he's about to fall out, and Chewie is dangling over the edge of the cart, and you see a rock coming towards them, you know, from the mountain itself as they're rolling through it, as if all of a sudden Chewbacca is going to get smashed, and obviously, you and I know. He's not going to get smashed. He's going to get pulled in at the last second because he's Chewbacca. And then at the end, you get the Solo logo. Solo logo. I say that three times. You know, Star Wars, uh, a Star Wars story, May 25th, and the little crescendo of the Star Wars theme at the end. Uh, now, we know for a fact that this is not John Williams, but obviously they're going to take cues from John Williams' score. But this time around, they have John Powell doing the score. Uh, so we'll see how he incorporates, obviously, all of the traditional beats of Star Wars into, you know, this particular film. You know, I hate to say it, but this really gives me a good feeling, not to quote the trailer, but, you know, I had a good reaction to the uh, the initial trailer, the, the teaser trailer, if you will. This is considered to be a trailer number two. You never know, we might get one more because we're still a month away. And I don't know if my positive reaction is is strictly a, a reaction to the trailer or what I'm seeing, or is it more of a uh, of a Last Jedi backlash? Now, don't get me wrong. You know, Last Jedi trailers, absolutely love them. They're excellent. I love them as they were coming. You know, all the information they were giving you was really, you know, juicy information. And here, obviously, they do their job at being a good trailer. We'll see what happens next. We're almost at this month-long timeline where you know i believe later this week the first wave of the toys are going to be released there have already been some things leaked here or there some very small things i picked up at denny's a silly little cup with a silly little uh, millennium falcon topper on it and a couple of uh, like trading cards they were offering so that was my first official solo swag if you will and it's a it's a different kind of movie in terms of you know the, the marketing itself is going to be somewhat difficult i imagine because Last Jedi had the typical, you know, marketing rollout. I don't think they put as, I don't, it's hard to really say. I don't know if they've really put as much product out as they did for Rogue One. I don't know if they're slowly diminishing these because they're coming year to year. Uh, but if I look around here, you know, the, the Last Jedi logo is not on many of my toys here. You know, if I look around, you know, I could see all these different waves of year after year after year. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I could see, you know, there's quite a number of uh, Force Awakens uh, logos on some of my figures, carded figures here. Uh, I look around and I see uh, there's quite a number, there's a number of uh, Rogue One figures, you know, floating around too. But when I look around for Last Jedi, I'm only seeing one two-pack of a Praetorian Guard and Ray, And I do see a six-inch, you know, Black Series Praetorian Guard. And I do see a pair of, what are they, like a... 18-inch Praetorian Guards, those Jack-specific huge ones I got, two different helmets. And I do see a foot-long <laughs> Praetorian Guard with that flat helmet. But it does seem kind of odd to me that that I don't have any other figures from the movie. And if I think about it, you know, if I, if I start to think about, you know, which characters would, would make good figures, because that's kind of like the mode I'm in now as far as buying figures, is I, I don't... My days of uh, collecting them all are long, long gone. But I do go for interesting looking things that kind of mean something to me, something special. And 
when I think of that movie, I just cannot pinpoint, you know, any specific figure that I would say, oh my God, I have to get this one. This one is such a cool looking figure or such a cool looking character. If you think about it, let's see, with, you know, Luke, there's not much going on there. Uh, at some point, they're going to make the caretakers. They have to. Uh, the rebels or the resistance, uh, you know, we've already kind of met most of them originally. I mean, yes, you have Holda, couldn't care less about her. Uh, you'd have people in different outfits. They put out some of those. Yeah, okay, whatever. Doesn't matter. Any cool droids or creatures? Well, there's a few actual creatures that are part of their rebellion that I believe were never made. Uh, there's still a couple more out there that were part of Force Awakens, and they returned as obviously just background characters. But they never really bothered to make them yet. I can't even think of their names because they're such weird-looking guys. But... If you think of the First Order, any new Stormtrooper variations? Nah, not really. I, I, the, the majority of what I've seen, I bought during Force Awakens, you know, the snow, the flamethrooper, you know, the, that kind of stuff. But this time around with the Executioner, what the hell is that? It's just a guy with a black mark on his shoulder. You know, who cares? No, nothing really that new and exciting about it. So it's like, okay, the New Order have any cool robots? Uh, not really. You know, there were some background robots here or there, but they're not enough, I guess, to make them into figures. What about Cantobite? Oh, God, don't please make me remember Cantobite. Yes, Cantobite is full of creatures. And there were some cool robots in the background, I think, as, as like um, servers or waiters or anything like that, or bartenders. But they really haven't gone in that direction either. So I don't know if they're just holding off or... Or what the deal is, but they really have not. You know, what, what are they going to make? The little kids from, from, from the stables? Nah. Or, or the, the, the creature that's in charge, the, the, the uncle plot looking creature? Nah, I don't think so. I mean, I would buy it. But I'll tell you what I would buy. I would buy, just because it's so ironically ridiculous, is that, uh, sea cow that Luke is, uh, <laughs> milking because it is it is just the epitome of that movie to me that that is the symbol of that movie it's the really this is what you're gonna do really <laughs> but like i said it's so to me it's so ridiculous that that would be something i would buy i would definitely buy if they sold that creature uh, i wonder if it would come with a luke with the uh a green beard from all the milk and i'll say it again when i first saw that shot i know it turns out to be odd you know milk i know what those round things are as a result of what happens but when i first first saw it especially the fact that the location was so low to the crotch area i thought it was something else and i was like what on earth is going on here <laughs> i should have known <laughs> i should have known what was to come you know based on that shot i was like wow we've gone a long way anyway i i this, this is not supposed to be my <laughs> rehashing of my uh, grievances <laughs> with The Last Jedi. But this is all about Solo. And like I said, we're about to enter that uh, last month period of countdown mode of here it comes. Get ready for the marketing blitz. Who knows? Maybe the marketing will be a lot slower, a lot lower than before. You know, a little scaled back. Because again, we have another movie a year from now. You know, we have episode nine theoretically coming out in, you know, May 25th or May 20 something, 2019. So let's just hang on until our next material from Solo, whether it's a trailer or maybe the actual movie itself. Let's take a quick break now and listen to a little spot from our friends at IC Robots. If you're into anything having to do with retro, vintage, 
toys and 80s shows and all kinds of 80s and 70s vintage retro kind of games, television, movies, all of that geek culture that we love here at GeekFest Rants. Take a look when you visit their site. They have a podcast called The Toys R Us Report, and we strongly recommend it. So have a listen. Tune in to the Toys R Us report for your weekly dose of pop culture talk that's out of this world. Movies, TV, toys, comics and more every Wednesday on the IC Robots radio network at icrobots.com. What are you waiting for? It's time to get down or come up. All right, we're back. Thank you guys from IC Robots. And let's continue with our show. All right, today we're going to talk about a couple of movies that if you are the type of person that likes to surf through Netflix and after watching a movie, you might click on the, you know, you might also like this type of section. This might be just for you. I know that I go through Netflix and I search and, you know, Netflix makes it pretty difficult sometimes. And it all seems to depend on the device that you have, because I noticed that depending on the device that you're using Netflix with, it will have its own menu. And some things are easier to find than others. And I remember a very long time ago, Netflix, when it was, I think, just a DVD ordering site, they used to have menus where you could actually see upcoming movies. They do have them now. They're a lot smaller than they used to be. And it seems to me that for some reason, for a while, they kind of went away and they came back and they try to hide it. And But it was like you could project way, way into the future all these movies that were about to come out. Now, with streaming services being so prominent, with Netflix, you know, you can click into what is there now, but it really doesn't give you a coming soon kind of section. At least in my device, it doesn't. Again, this could be a device issue. I know there's tons of hacks that they mention on the internet every now and then where you can access the secret menus or this or that, but I think that's mainly for if you're watching on a computer and you have a computer-based system to watch it, it's easier to go to certain sub-menus. But for example, in my case, I have Netflix in different ways. On one TV, I can access it through my Apple TV, which is where I do most of my Netflix watching through. Then on another device, I have it through my cable box. My cable box recently added a Netflix app, so you could do that. So, But because I've been doing it in, in Apple for so long, you know, I just stay there. Plus, I'm used to the menu, and it's just a matter of convenience. And I think I used to be able to also do it through one of our gaming centers that my son had, I, I don't know, PS2 or PlayStation, one of those. I don't remember which one. But yeah, so there's so many different ones, and I'm sure you have even more you know dvd players have their own apps you know smart tvs have their own apps so it's just ridiculous and like i said most of them have their own menus so it's kind of weird but anyway what i was talking about is that once you watch a movie you start to see all these different things and on the internet like facebook for example you'll see articles that will say top 10 horror movies that are streaming this month on netflix or top 10 sci-fi you know that kind of clickbait kind of uh, ads that basically take you through a list of a couple of movies that are playing there. It's You know, I really hope that the people that are writing these articles actually seen these movies and they're not just regurgitating what Netflix tells you because, like I said earlier, on Netflix, when you finish watching a movie or when you're about to watch a movie and you're in that sub-menu, it also lists a couple on the bottom that you might like. And that's one of the things that happened recently was that 
the list that was listed underneath was pretty much exactly what one of these articles was saying was that if you like this this is other movies you you should be watching right now on netflix so i don't know exactly how these things are written but i usually go and you know i go to the sci-fi section i go to the horror section thrillers action adventure i almost never go into drama (laughs) or comedies I go straight to the the genre stuff, but I do sometimes dip into that that sort of thing. But recently, you know, Netflix has been getting a lot of new stuff. Some of it is exclusive to them. It was made for Netflix, and some of them is stuff that I guess they buy or they lease or whatever it is that they do to it because they only get it for a certain amount of time. And I want to give you guys a couple of uh, interesting ones that you might want to take a look at. The first movie is called The Invitation, and it's a 2015 film about a couple who are invited to a dinner party thrown by the leads, the you know, the, the guy's ex-wife. And this is kind of difficult because, you know, they used to be married and they used to have a son and something happened to their son that kind of broke them apart, separated them, got them divorced. And they were both grieving, you know, quite a bit because of what happened to their son. And... This dinner party includes a lot of the old, a lot of the other friends that they had there, you know, before this tragedy happened. So they get to the house and he's there with a new girlfriend and they meet, you know, they meet up with the other people, but he's still pretty cagey. He's still not very comfortable. He's still very nervous about having to be in the same house that he used to live, but now his ex-wife lives with another man. And it's kind of like reconnecting and everything is kind of, you know, kind of weird because it's like, you know, you're at your ex's house. So I should also mention off the bat that the lead character is played by Logan Marshall Green. That is a name that I remember because if you remember the movie Prometheus, he was there as Elizabeth Shaw's boyfriend, I think, her partner. And we always refer to him as... Bizarro Tom Hardy, because he looks like Tom Hardy. Well, in this movie, he looks like Tom Hardy. He still looks like Tom Hardy. And it is really strange watching him act. He's a very good actor. He does his job excellent in this film. But I'm always thinking I'm watching Tom Hardy. I keep saying over and over again, we need to have that actor that looks like Matt Damon and this actor that looks like Tom Hardy. Have them do a movie together and have Tom Hardy and Matt Damon do a cameo on it. That would just blow my mind. But anyway, enough of, you know, making fun of these actors. He is very good in this movie. Now, as usual, we're going to do lots and lots of spoilers here. So feel free to... When we get to an area or just to kind of fast forward to the next one. But these are movies that (laughs) are really, really interesting. So as the dinner progresses, the best way to describe this movie is a slow burn. You know, weird little things start to happen and they start to act weird. Some Some of the people start to act weird. They Not only is this a gathering of friends, but they also, you know, his his ex and his, her new boyfriend, let's say, they also bring uh, to the party two other people that are not known to anyone else. And they are really, really weird. You know, they're really even weirder than <laughs> than the new boyfriend and the, and the kind of wacky ex-wife. So as we progress through the story, 
you know, they're kind of playing games, kind of adultish kind of games. And at one point they want to show them a video about something they've been doing lately, you know, and it's this retreat they went on to, I think somewhere in Mexico, really far away where they have this kind of like a commune of people that are gathered in a room watching a woman who is dying of apparently natural causes. So as this woman slowly dies, everybody's there to kind of gather around her and to kind of ease her into her transition, if you will. And the people watching this are a little freaked out. They're like, they're like, why are you showing us this? This is kind of weird. And, and some of them are like, well, yeah, I guess that's okay. And they're like, no, no, this is just, you know, it's, it's, it's a very spiritual experience of, of, of easing people into death, let's say, you know, and, and without any uh, hangups or anything like that, you know, it's, it's a little bit hippy dippy kind of, you know, new agey kind of thing. And some of them, like I said, some of them are they're a little weirded out by it, but they're trying to kind of put the best face forward because it's it's a gathering of these friends that haven't seen each other in a while. And some of them, specifically one of them, uh, the, the party starts to get a little weirder because uh, kind of drugs start coming out at some point and, you know, weird stuff starts to happen. So she's like, you know what? I had enough of this. I got to leave. This isn't for me. You know, I'll see you guys later. And you start to get this tense feeling that, you know, because the other, you know, the lead guy is also complaining that why are you locking the doors? Why is there bars everywhere? What's going on here? You kind of know that something might happen to this woman. <laughs> so as she's leaving the house, one of the unknown guests kind of goes with her to kind of move her, his car or whatever, help her out of the parking lot. So you kind of lose track of what's going on there. And then other th weird things start happening. There's a, not, there's a guy that calls and doesn't show up at the party and then when you think that the guy has finally figured out what's going on the guy shows up because he got delayed or something happened so the tension kind of comes down again and you start to feel like yes this guy is just being extra sensitive because he's still suffering he's still grieving he's he's looking at shadows everywhere and then when they finally get to the dinner party part of the party <laughs> all of a sudden he starts to feel weird about the fact that they're pouring wine for everyone and they're kind of waiting for everybody to start drinking and he starts to knock everybody's glasses out because he's like this is it this is the, these people are crazy they're trying to they're trying to do something to us they're trying to convert us or or something and one of them basically drops dead right there after drinking the wine and at that point it's all hell breaks loose shooting some people start shooting some people start stabbing and yeah, it's it, it, it's basically some kind of a weird death cult that they're gathering all these people in order to kill them. And at one point in the movie, we also noticed that the, they put out a red lantern. Uh, you know, this this boyfriend guy puts out a red lantern out on the uh, on because this is night. This is taking place at night, obviously. Uh, a red lantern in the backyard. So there's all kinds of hints left and right that something's weird. By the end of the movie, a lot of people die, and we find out that you know our hero makes it obviously and we find out that all through the valley this must be los angeles i think they mentioned it's california los angeles you do see all these red lanterns everywhere and you hear sirens everywhere so you get the impression that this is some kind of a weird cult that planned this out you know throughout a wide area and that you know they either succeeded or might not have succeeded but you see all these red lanterns these little red lights all over the mountains, you know, all over the hills. So it's like, wow, I wonder how many people died as a result of this. We never really find out what happened to the first woman that left. Odds are she was killed. We never exactly find out what happened to their son. 
because uh, you do have some flashbacks, but it's nothing really very specific. It looks like to be some kind of an outdoor party or a birthday or something, and not sure exactly what happened to the child. I don't know if he, maybe he drowned, maybe he was hit by something. It was some kind of an accident, but it's not very clear. But this was a really good movie. I really enjoyed it, and like I said, it builds, 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 and you, I mean, if you've seen these kind of movies or... If you watch movies, period, you can kind of tell that you're getting very close to this tipping point where all hell is going to break loose. And in the script, they make it in a way where they give you a false cliff at one point when you think, this is it. This is where everything is going to go over the top. And that's the scene when he confronts everyone and says, what happened to so-and-so? He left a message on my phone saying he was right outside the house. He was about to come in and he's not in here. They did something to him. Something's going on here. And then the guy shows up. So that's <laughs> saying, I'm sorry, guys, I was late. I, I had to forgot something. I had to go get it, but I'm back now. Thank you. you know, I'm sorry. I apologize. So that's when it's like it all kind of falls apart. He starts crying. And he's like, oh, my God, what did I do? I made a fool of myself. You know, that kind of thing. And then you have that real cliff where, you know, at the dinner where they're all drink, they're about to drink. And, you know, the first person drops dead right there. Boom. There you have it. So it is somewhat predictable in terms of, you know, you're being told I'm watching a thriller or or a horror film. It's more of a thriller, really. But I would say because of the actors, the good acting, like I said, I like this lead character. And I'm not sure if I like him because he's good or because he reminds me of Tom Hardy. I still don't understand. I, I can't put my finger. I could, you know, I could easily, you know, if I was like, kind of not really thinking about it i could say that's a good tom hardy movie <laughs> but it's really hard to say but again this is a pretty good one if you uh if you want uh you know a nice thriller the next movie i'm going to talk about is mute this is a straight to netflix i think film by duncan jones the guy who directed source code and he directed moon i really really love moon moon was great source code was more of a studio film a little more actiony but pretty good but moon was his big i think his big big hit i mean it wasn't ginormous but it was a very good movie mute tells the story of a guy who is mute uh not by birth by accident he suffered an injury when he was young and his parents i think were amish or something like that and didn't want doctors to kind of fix him up you know they saved his life obviously but they didn't want him to have like an operation i guess that would have fixed his vocal cords and he's a bartender this is in the future first of all i mean it's in the future so it's very futuristic it is very well done in terms of special effects i mean we've seen a lot of tv shows or movies recently you know not movie theater movies but kind of like tv movies let's say again especially tv shows stuff like black mirror stuff like uh altered carbon and electric dreams where they do have a television budget you know, special effects, where you want things to kind of be slightly Blade Runnery, especially with Altered Carbon. This movie is very, very good in terms of how good, you know, the special effects are. And this futuristic world that we're living in is portrayed. So you have this guy who's uh, who's mute and he uh, works at a bar and he's uh, his girlfriend is a waitress there. And, you know, they have a, a pretty good relationship, but they have to deal with these jerky kind of uh, clients every now and then who try to, you know, grow up the women and get drunk and that kind of thing. But, you know, they have their own little thing going on on the side there. 
Then you're introduced to two other characters that are played by Justin Thoreau and Paul Rudd. They're friends, they're doctors, they're kind of partners in terms of their, their business, but they're into kind of illegal stuff. They patch up like mobster thugs that get hurt and that kind of thing. Paul Rudd's character is kind of like the lead of the two. Of the two. He is kind of like a swarmy, fast-talking, used car salesman type of character always dealing, you know, working out some kind of scam or something, getting into fights. The other guy is played by Justin Thoreau. He's his partner, let's say, his business partner. And uh, they're, they're both in the process of trying to get, I guess, some kind of a permit, some kind of a visa, some kind of a passport, some kind of a thing so that they can get out of the, the area they're in and go to another country, I believe, or at least the, the Paul Rudd character. So he's always kind of like scamming his way into trying to get this from some of these uh, mobsters. Justin Thoreau's character is a creepy one because he seems to have something for little girls. And little by little, he starts to get caught. And even Paul Rudd starts to kind of understand that this guy is a problem. Uh, but it's just, it's kind of like his best friend. So he's kind of making up excuses for him and helping him out. But at the same time, he's like conflicted because this guy is a psychopath. He's got a problem, a big problem. So while you're watching this film, you know, you, I, I had trouble trying to marry these two stories together. On one hand, you have, you know, the lead who's the bartender, who's, by the way, played by Alexander Skargard, who's been in a million television shows and movies, and his girlfriend, played by Seinev Saleh. Never heard of her. But she tells him, you know, yeah, you know, they're happy, they're this, but she's like, I have a secret, I have something that I have to tell you, and, and you know, it's really bothering me, and I don't know what to do. And then, before she can ever tell him anything, you know, she disappears. All of a sudden, she doesn't show up to work. So, Leo, who's the bartender, goes on a search for her. And the movie then has two stories. Him searching for his missing girlfriend, and those other two whack jobs you know, trying to make deals with the mob and get away from stuff and, and getting in trouble and getting into fights and all kinds of stuff going on. And it was, like I said before, it was very difficult for me trying to see these two stories happening side by side with no obvious connection between them. So about three quarters of the way through the movie, the connection is made because we, along the way, we kind of also learned that Paul Rudd's character has a daughter. And part of his plan is to get him and her out of the country. Uh, so he's taking her to these really inappropriate places because he's a dirtbag. And his daughter's just there drawing and whatever, and she's kind of keeping to herself, more or less. You know, not seeing too much of the craziness that's going on. But he's starting to get worried that his partner, who then finds out is into little girls, you know, might try something. So, you know, he starts to get very concerned. So about three quarters of the way into the movie, we find out that, okay, the connection here is that the missing waitress's secret is that that girl is her daughter, which means that Paul Rudd was her either husband or boyfriend or whatever, but she's basically trying to get away from him, and he's trying to get away from her, and obviously he wants to take the daughter away. By the end of the movie, we find out, you know, there's Leo finds out exactly what's happening, that Paul Rudd's character killed her and took the daughter. So there's, you know, you have your chase scenes, you have the almost, the guy's almost dead, he comes back, jumps, fights, then the second guy comes on, they all fight, blah, blah. When it's all said and done, all that's left is Leo and the little girl. 
you know, it's not his daughter. It's his dead girlfriend's daughter. The two uh, dirtbags are dead, Paul Rudd and Justin Thoreau. And at the end, it looks like there's a happy ending at the end. He even speaks at one point. He's able to speak in order to save her. It's a little melodramatic. And the best thing about this film, it's something that I'm still trying to research a little more, is that sprinkled throughout the film, you have television clips that are being played in the background of stuff having to do with Moon, with the character of Moon from the movie Moon that returns to Earth. You know, some kind of a hearings are taking place, whether or not he should be allowed to live or something like that, I don't know. But it's in the background, and it was really interesting. It's like, wow, he's tying this movie to one of his earlier movies. Unfortunately, that doesn't save this movie for me, at least. I, I Again, the set design, the special effects, fantastic. The story was just... I, I don't know, maybe I'm just not sophisticated enough to understand the connection until the end. But something tells me that they th that's what they were doing on purpose. They were trying to create this suspense. They wanted people to say, why are these two things connected? You know, what is the, why am I being told two stories? What's the point of these two separate stories? Yes, I was surprised. I was disappointed also at the fact that, you know, this woman is basically dead. <laughs> you know, after... You know, after the first act, after we meet her and get to know her, she will die off camera and the connection with the daughter will remain, you know, wide open until we really, really, really get a little closer to the end of the film. It's a shame because I really like this director and I was hoping to see what happens next with him. Is it a sign that the movie went straight to Netflix, that it really didn't connect that well? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Sometimes you have really good movies that go straight to Netflix. You never know. Uh, you can't really dismiss them all. I mean, you can dismiss a number of them. So this is a hit or miss as far as I'm concerned. You guys can give it a try. See what happens. You know, you never know. You might like some of this stuff. All right. The next film from Netflix is The Cloverfield Paradox. Now, this is a strange little background to this film because it is connected to the Cloverfield films that you know we've seen in the past but it had originally started as a film called God Particle that later on it kind of turned into another Cloverfield film now you can go back and forth and figure out why that happened if they tried to combine films or they tried to scrap a film and create a new one and it's a little convoluted how that happened the bottom line is that it very quickly became tied to the Cloverfield franchise, if you will. Now, with this particular film, what we have is a whole bunch of scientists on a space station trying to perform these experiments by activating a particle accelerator on the actual Cloverfield station. That's what the title, you know, Cloverfield refers to the name of the station. The reason they're trying to do this is because they're trying to generate energy because on earth they're suffering from a energy crisis that hopefully this space station can create some form of energy through these experiments that will save the earth in terms of being able to help you know with this problem they're having now you have a crew of i think it's i think it's like five or six different crew members and they you know they're all specialists in different things and they're all from different countries because it's like an international station type of situation the lead character is an english engineer who has a, a little bit of a history uh, having to do with earth where she is as a result of an accident her family died 
having to do with a house fire that happened that has kind of psychologically traumatized her. And we kind of get to know, you know, a little bit more of her background than we do from the other characters. One of the other actors is Daniel Bruhl, who has recently been in a lot of films. I've seen him on, let's see, Alienist. He plays Dr. Chrysler. He was uh, Zemo in um, Civil War. You know, he's been showing up in a lot of movies lately. He was on The Bourne Ultimatum, The Zookeeper's Wife. You know, like I said, this is a guy that's, he's kind of like the up-and-coming foreign actor. <laughs> he gets cast as a foreigner, usually German, you know, I guess because of his background. His real name is Daniel Cesar Martin Bluer Gonzalez. Wow, he's German-Spanish. Man, talk about a background there with a big five names. <laughs> he's got five names. Interesting. And again, I've seen him in quite a bit of things, and, and he keeps showing up. So he is kind of like, I would say he's the second lead in this film. He's like the the lead scientist, more or less. Uh, he's kind of in charge of everybody else. So the film uh, goes through a period where they keep testing and, and keeps failing, and the tests keep failing, and the tests keep failing. And finally, after a two-year period, they're able to initiate the test, and it's successful in terms of uh, the, the machine seems to work. But then something happens, uh, the device starts to shut itself down, and a lot of weird things start to happen in the station. First of all, they can't seem to figure out where they're at. It looks as if the station has been sent somewhere else, distance-wise. The gyroscope, the device that actually tells them where they are, is missing, completely missing. Then at one point, they hear these noises coming, these kind of like wailings or screams coming from one of the station walls and they discover inside there's a woman trapped in the wall with wires coming kind of going through her so they kind of have to disengage her from the structure and bring her out and, and be able to remove all these electronics from her it's almost as if she materialized inside the wall then another one of the scientists starts to get very paranoid and designs a plastic gun you know with a 3d printer kind of because he thinks that something is going on and you know there some something's coming to get him so this guy with the gun all of a sudden starts to have these convulsions and he kind of dies and these worms kind of explode out of his chest, uh, which are worms they were using for experiments, which is bizarre, <laughs> like everything else. Then you have another scientist, go back to that part, boom, 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 boom. Yeah, weird, weird stuff is happening to these people. Then another scientist, his arm is kind of pulled into the, a wall and severed. So his arm is like, half his arm is like crawling through the station and his elbow, let's say, is kind of fused. So he's walking around with half an arm missing, but not with any threat of dying from it. Then the arm all of a sudden starts to kind of write something that says, check inside this other guy, the guy that was exploded because of the worms. And they find the gyroscope inside that guy. So you got to get the feeling here that things are completely out of control. Some weird, weird, weird stuff is happening as a result of this experiment. Now, earlier, before the experiment takes place, as we're establishing the story, we do get a news flash from like a television station, I guess, uh, talking about these experiments that are taking place in, in orbit. And there you have this guy who's kind of like a conspiracy theorist talking about how bad these experiments are. You know, like, you shouldn't mess around with this kind of science because it could unleash all kinds of unknown terrors and problems and, and devastation, you know, to the world or to the whole universe by activating these um, 
these devices. And this is kind of like the super collider. I remember when the super collider, they were doing all the experiments that people were thinking something really bad could happen. So it's kind of tapping into that kind of fear. So once they take out the gyroscope from inside this dead guy, they were able to reinstall it and reestablish communication with Earth. They realized they're really far away from it and they're kind of able to kind of tell where it is. But the transmissions that they're getting from Earth are stating that the Cloverfield station had crashed into Earth. So at this point, they're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? They're, they're saying we died, basically, that everybody died. And what they realize is that basically what's happening is as a, as, as a result of the experiment, their station got catapulted into another dimension, possibly, uh, a different part of the universe where historically they failed in their mission. And the lead character that I was talking about earlier in this particular world, her family is waiting for her because her family never died. So now you have a really weird situation where you have all these different people in and out of two different worlds. So the plan becomes more or less, let's reactivate the accelerator one more time to see if it can kind of bring us back to our world because something is wrong. Also that the person that that this woman that they found, she is a member of the crew, but she's not part of their crew. She seems to be a, a different scientist from that other station that somehow, when this got activated, she somehow got transported to their station. So it's it's really convoluted a little bit, but it's interesting to watch. It's a it's not boring at all. It's 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 a mystery that it starts to kind of unravel in front of you. Now some of these uh. Uh, scientists start to die because of accidents, and then the the other uh, crew member that doesn't belong there, she starts to kind of go a little nuts, and she tries and she tries to kill some of them too. And we get to the point basically in the movie where it's down to two people: the the lead actress and the lead scientist. They got rid of the the, the one that was trying to kill them. And they're ready to reactivate. You know, the guy is injured, but he's still able to help and and to reactivate the 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 accelerator. And they seem to return to Earth. You know, to, to their Earth, their area. You know, and uh, they're able to take a capsule off of the uh, space station and just eject and come down back to Earth. And the hook of this film, what really brings it even closer to the Cloverfield world as a whole is that as the capsule is coming down the atmosphere you know through the clouds all of a sudden we see this head of this gigantic monster that looks a little bit like the previous cloverfield monster from the first film kind of roars its head through the clouds and the thing is that in the time that these people have been away the speculation is that these monsters have appeared, monster or monsters, and they're wreaking havoc on Earth all of a sudden now, as they might have already done in other dimensions. So this is kind of how it gets brought into the Cloverfield world. The uh, reviews were kind of mixed in terms of th this not being that great of a Cloverfield movie, that they, maybe they try to shoehorn it in a little bit. And yeah, it is true, they maybe try to shoehorn it, but you know what? This is one of these movies where they're trying to expand on a franchise, if you're, or in a story, without directly addressing that story. In a way, similar to what Ridley Scott tried to do with Prometheus, where he tried to create a new storyline in a world that he already had built. And granted, he has to give you a little bit of that world's main themes, because you can't just visit the world without 
talking about the world. You can't just have a story take place with no connection whatsoever to that world. You could, I guess. I don't know if it's ever been tried successfully. I don't know. But here, this is how they're doing it. They're giving you the little hint in the beginning of this conspiracy theories, theorizing that this is what could happen if you do open up these portals. Now, what this could mean also is that the things that are happening in the first film or even the second film could be happening in different dimensions of earth they might be different worlds that are all all of a sudden infected by this opening of a gate where these monsters seem to be able to now hop from one to the other in some shape or form and wreak havoc everywhere so it is interesting. I think it's worth it. Like I said, I know that critically, if you look at your Facebook feed, a lot of different places, you might get mixed reviews. I think it's a worthy sci-fi type of thing. If you like the first Cloverfield films, this one kind of fits pretty well in there. I think they're going to try to do another Cloverfield-related movie. I don't know if this time they're going to go straight to theaters or they're going to take this Netflix route. Because, like I said, at the last minute, this became a Netflix film. Which is a sign, could be a sign of, of something bad in terms of, you know, there's not enough belief in the film that it's going to make any money theatrically. So they say, all right, fine, give it to Netflix or give it to Amazon or give it to somebody else. I think it's a good sci-fi film. It's worthy of your time. The next couple of films I'm going to go a little faster through because they might or might not be worth your time. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But it's interesting. Similar to Cloverfield... They put out a film called Bright, and I know it was made for Netflix. It is slightly a high-profile type of thing because Will Smith is one of the stars, and Will Smith is a huge movie star. And the movie is basically a cop film about a world we live in now where you have humans and, let's say, elves and orcs and... All types of different Middle-earthy kind of characters, if you will. I know we're not supposed to be referencing Lord of the Rings, but that kind of thing where somehow, you know, fairies and elves are part of the everyday population. Somehow, something happened where all of a sudden the humanity was introduced to all of this new community that has to be integrated into the normal community. Now... Will Smith is partnered with Joel Edgerton, who plays one of these orc-looking guys, and he's kind of like the first cop orc, let's say. So, to me, as I'm watching this film, and as they're introducing this new environment, this whole thing takes place, I think, in, in Los Angeles. It's the LAPD. But as they're introducing this new environment, to me, this screams Alien Nation. I don't know if you guys remember Alien Nation, the film, many, many years ago with um, James Caan and Mandy Patankin, and it was a similar situation. You have the LAPD being introduced to these alien beings that are now becoming part of society, and he is like kind of like the one of the first cops to be in the force. Now... Back then, it was a take on more or less integration, you know, how difficult it is to integrate, you know, the way that you have things going one way today, and then tomorrow they're a little different because, let's say, back when, 60s, you know, police started, you know, black police officers started to get integrated, you know, the post-integration uh, period into those kind of jobs, and now they're doing a similar thing 
you know, I remember with with aliens from another planet, and now they're doing it in bright, and they're using orcs as that kind of thing. Now, I don't know how much inspiration they had from that previous film. It might not have anything to do with it. And there is an ongoing story underneath about there's this special elf or fairy or something that's supposed to have these powers and blah, blah, blah. So there is a kind of like an ongoing thing going on that it's supposed to, I guess, represent future possible films, you know, future stories having to do with this subject. And the movie as a whole is basically, you know, Will Smith's character is a rough, rough character. He is just kind of nasty at times. And in the story, we get to a point where it's just expectedly, it's kind of like him and his partner against everybody. You know, everybody comes after them, more or less, and they eventually defeat the bad guy let's put it that way uh there's a couple of known actors in the mix there some of them are wearing a lot of makeup so you might not recognize them but this is one that got really really slammed review wise and to tell you the truth i don't know why but i kind of enjoyed it more or less <laughs> i mean i'm not gonna say oh this is the greatest thing ever but and granted i have already seen alien nation and i remember that theme i remember the the situations that you're gonna run into where you know the cop is the yeah whatever and then the new guy is very eager to please and he does things a little different and he's very awkward and he's always saying the wrong thing you know i've seen that before but for some reason again it didn't bother me that much Joel Egerton has got so much makeup on him that you can't recognize it's Joel Egerton. I love that act. He's a very good actor doing his best, you know, American kind of accent. And Will Smith is also a little different than usual because Will Smith's usually, you know, the good guy and the clean cut guy. He's the good guy here, don't get me wrong, but he's kind of nasty. Like I said, he's a, he's a questionable individual at times, but he is the lead, obviously. I hope they do make another one. I would watch it. I mean, I, I don't know how much they can spend on it because again because this wasn't that big of a hit I, I don't know how much they're willing to risk on another one but it is not as bad as people had made it out to be this thing was panned so bad that you know my expectations were so low maybe that it didn't bother me as much but you know what it's not bad it's not bad for a for, for a netflix film there was this other movie also they put out, which I, I guess it might be British in terms of how where it was made, or, or I don't know if it's exclusively to Netflix, or it was basically picked up by Netflix, called The Ritual, about a whole bunch of friends that uh, have this ritual of going, you know, camping to the woods, and part of it having to do with a friend of theirs that died as a result of a robbery in a, in a, like a liquor store or a convenience store. And one of the friends being there and not being able to help, he has this guilt complex that's always following him around. Well, this movie is more of a really strangey kind of horror film where all these weird things are happening in the woods and these strange, culty, monstery, uh, weird people in the woods kind of things are starting to show up and their friends are kind of dwindling one by one until there's only a few left. And you get to the point where we are not just dealing with crazy woods people there is an actual monster <laughs> that these people apparently are worshiping that is responsible for some of the killings that are happening in the dismemberments again this is a moody horror film that kind of builds up and builds up and builds up to the point where you know it's up to you to decide whether or not once we kind of get confirmation that yes this is a monster situation and not just crazy people you know, is it still good? Is it, Does it still work? I think it rides the line and it gets very close to maybe falling apart. But for me, 
Again, it's a horror film, not the type of thing I would see in the theater, but worthy of a Netflix, you know, you want to watch something pretty moody and scary. And, you know, for its budget, I imagine, you know, they do a pretty good job of creating this very suspenseful, moody type of uh, mood. <laughs> so this one's called The Ritual. Then I saw another one <laughs> called Radius. And again, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm looking at these little pictures of Netflix. Okay, uh, and then you see a picture of, ooh, this is interesting. Let's let's take a look. You click on it. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. All right, let's give it a try. This is a, a weird one where a man wakes up uh, like in a forest or something and as a result of a car accident and something happened to him. He can't remember too much about himself. He has some sort of form of amnesia. But all we know is that the, when he gets within a certain radius of people, I don't know, 30 feet, 50 feet, something like that, whoever is around that inner circle drops dead. He has some kind of a power uh, that is uncontrollable he doesn't he doesn't make it happen but it just happens that if you get within that distance you drop dead except he then finds another woman who has also seemed to be having some kind of a amnesia type of problem too where it stops those things from happening if she is within his range people can get close as long as she's close to him so the movie kind of progresses of them two trying to figure out what it is that happened what caused them to be afflicted with this one having this power to kill and the other one having this power to not have him kill and you go through the whole movie trying to find out and they're being chased because the cops are trying to figure out what's going on something to do with a car accident but they can't really you know figure it out too well and they start kind of retracing their steps going back a little back a little she finds her husband who is trying to give her information on what's happening. He doesn't find anyone. But later, the twist in the film is that this is some kind of weird, I don't know, alien kind of thing. So by the end of the film, they, they kind of figure out what the that this was some kind of a cosmic weird anomaly that happened that caused these two people who were within a certain vicinity to have this effect. And it was partially responsible also for their loss of their memory. But later, we kind of find out also that as they're starting to kind of piece the story together of how these two ended up in the same area together, in the same car together, it turns out that the lead guy, the guy who can't remember, is apparently a serial killer. And he had just kidnapped this woman when this whole thing had happened. So that kind of, you know, punches you in the gut towards the end <laughs> as you're figuring things out. And by the end of the movie, they're both taken to a hospital because of other people they run into that have problems and he basically kills himself because he understands that he is a mess and he's responsible not for this weirdness that happened, but for his whole, you know, backstory of being a serial killer. So another weird little movie, you know, kind of in the vein of The Ritual in terms of it's a low budget film made somewhere else. I think this one's Canadian. I'm not entirely sure. But, you know, it, it's this mystery keeps you going towards the end and it's it's worth it. The last one I'm going to mention is Wheelman. Now, Wheelman, all I'm going to say is that it starts Frank Grillo. Frank Grillo is one of these B actors that, that has been popping up in movies left and right. He was in Winter Soldier. He's also in uh, some of the, uh, the Purge movies. And he's a, certainly a character, type of actor. In this one, he plays a, a Wheelman, the 
hence the name Wheelman, that uh, is hired to drive these two guys that are about to stick up a place. And in the middle of the stick up, he gets a phone call from, I guess, one of the people running this whole operation telling him, get out, leave right now, leave them behind, they're going to kill you. So he makes a run for it. And during the movie, it's him being told to do certain things, because if he doesn't do them, they're going to come and kill him and, and his daughter or something and his wife. Um, so the whole movie is basically him trying to figure out who is orchestrating all this and how can he possibly get out of it. It's not a super new idea. We've seen movies like this before where a character is being blackmailed or forced in some shape or form to do something. Now, granted, he is already kind of like a criminal, so he is a criminal. <laughs> so it's not out of the scope of you feeling really bad for him. However, they do, you know, they are threatening his family. But the movie is full of, you know, it takes place at night. Excellent, excellent driving sequences and chase scenes. And we do get to an end point in the movie where we're able to resolve the story a little unrealistically because it involves his daughter, you know, being able to do certain things too. But if you're a fan of this particular actor, you know, he's kind of becoming, as far as I'm concerned, what somebody like Lance Henriksen, Bill Paxton, Bruce Campbell, you know, he's becoming a genre actor, being put in these roles that kind of fit him pretty well. He's the uh, shady good guy, let's put it that way. That's, that's, that's how he's very good at. And in this movie, like I said, the, the chase scenes are awesome. And it's a nice little small movie that keeps you kind of interested all the way through the end of, you know, how is he going to get out of this mess? How can he possibly get out of this mess? And it satisfies at the end. So there you have it. You got a whole bunch of movies that if you have Netflix and you're bored out of your skull, you might have heard of some of them. The reviews might be all over the place. But these are a couple that, as far as I'm concerned, they're pretty good. Some better than others. You know, the only one in the group that I was not happy with was Mute, which was a high profile one as far as I'm concerned, because it's, from, a, in my opinion, a very good director that I guess, as usual, at one point they figure out, well, this movie's not that great. What do we do with it? In the past, they probably would, you know, go to video, video store, rental, 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 you know, DVD. But now they have other options. When a studio is not so certain about a movie, they throw it on a streaming service. They probably get some good money out of that, too. You know, you got plenty of other ones here. Uh, horror, sci-fi, you know, all kinds of weird stuff for you to pick from. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed our breakdown of the Solo trailer number two. The latest and greatest in Star Wars that we're going to get in only a month. It's unbelievable how soon this thing is right around the corner. And also, we covered a little bit of the Netflix films that are out there right now. Some of those suggested flicks, you know, you watch one thing and then they suggest five other things. Well, I kind of went all over the place and started looking at some of these movies. And some of them are good, some of them are okay, and some of them are bad. But I hope it helped, you know, for you guys to decide, you know, what's out there and what's worth watching and not watching. So, until next time, thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Just call you Wilman. You know who this is? 
I don't know you. You're driving for me. The other two, leave them behind. I'm not leaving them behind. They're gonna kill you. You better do what I tell you to do, you hear me? Fuck you, man, I don't know you. You don't listen to me. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2018. <laughs>